Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Anybody love Jesus in here? Woo! It's awesome. Um, come on up here, my love. <laughs> uh, before, we, uh, before we get going uh, in the message this morning, we just want to share one last announcement um, about a trip that's going to come up that we're going to do called The Send. Has anybody heard about The Send yet? Yes. yes. Awesome. Let me just share a little bit. I don't know if we have a graphic or something we could put up. But uh, in February, the end of uh, February, there's a, there is an amazing gathering going down in Orlando, Florida at Family Camping World Stadium, I believe it is. They're calling 60,000 believers to gather in that stadium. And I, I really believe this is a significant thing. Um, a lot of us went to Azusa now a couple years ago with Lou Engel, the call, and that has transitioned. And now it's becoming the sin. But it's even more than just a call. And what I really felt stirred about when I heard the vision of the send was that um, all the people that were coming, and it's not just about people, but man, when I looked at it, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't, never seen, I've never seen all these spiritual giants that have went before us in one place at one time. And they're gathering like all the streams from Lou Engel to Mike Bickle to IHOP to Bill Johnson to, to just almost every prophetic stream, circuit riders, YWAM, Campus Crusade for Christ, evangelical streams, the top leaders, and they're all coming because they have a word that we have now crossed into the season where the spirit of Elijah is coming on Elisha. And they're coming there to discharge their mantles for a new generation that would rise up and go further than what they did in the previous season. So I, I don't know, I just felt there was a stirring on that. So we're going to go to Florida. We're going to go to Atlanta, uh, or Atlanta, <laughs> Orlando, we may stop in Atlanta, I don't know, no. Just for gas. Hey. But uh, it's going to be awesome, and so Amber's going to tell us a little bit more about it. So we want to take our youth. I mean, why not, right? Woohoo! That's right, come on. If they were going to be discharging their mantle, we definitely want our youth to be there. So I just have a few announcements for that. We're actually going to depart on Friday, February 22nd, and return on Sunday, February 24th. Um, February 10th is our next combined service. So we are actually going to do a fundraiser to help cover the cost of traveling. So come prepared to bless the youth ministry on that day. We're also looking for sponsors to help sponsor our youth. So if you are a family would like to sponsor youth, just make your checks um, and put youth conference down at the bottom in the memo line. And we're looking to do about $100 per youth for the conference to help cover it. Also, if you want to come as a family, if your youth is coming, you're like, I want to go too. That's kind of how I am. <laughs> I want to be there. Just come talk to one of the youth leaders and we'll help make arrangements for that. I think that's everything, right? We, oh, come see one of the youth leaders, too, to make sure you sign your child up and you have to sign an authorization. We can't leave here without your permission. So, Okay, yes, it, we're going to feed you. So come hungry in big pockets, big pockets. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Amber. Amen? Excited? Awesome. We'll, uh, I want to jump right into it, guys. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel. Uh, chapter 5, kind of go a few verses, a um, few, few other places, but 2 Samuel 5, and uh, we'll get there in a second, but um, I want to open this up 
by sharing just a prophetic word that uh, actually Amber shared with me earlier this week. Um, it came from Lena Vosser, who is in Australia, and uh, she just had this amazing prophetic word. You guys hear um, a couple weeks back, maybe a few months back, when we, when we had the video of Dutch Sheets, and we had that word, and we declared, right? Uh, the same lady is the uh, lady that gave that word. I, I read this, and I exploded, because I really feel like it, it really begins to define, I believe, what 2019 is looking like for many of us and, and the season where God is taking us. So I want to share, it came out of a dream. This is what she says. She goes, I had a dream last night where I heard the Lord saying so loudly, a door of restitution is now opening before you. I knew the Lord was making a decree over God's people and heralding another threshold to be crossed over into. Restitution is like restoration. The restoration of something lost or stolen to the original property owner. How many could use some things that have been stolen returned back to you in this season? Amen. The Lord is waging war on the enemy. That's enough to make someone shout. <laughs> Ooh, help me to get through this. The Lord is raging war on the enemy and the things that have come in against you. Fierce restoration and the fierce payback of God is now coming upon you. The Lord spoke to me today and said, this is the door of restitution, restoration that is opening up before you. I felt the Lord say, the new day has dawned and what has been <laughs> will no longer be. Whoop. What has been will no longer be. The Lord is decreeing now. Someone say, now. now. You shall see his justice like never before. The enemy is being paid back for what he has thrown at you in the last season. How he has come against you in the way he has stolen and killed and destroyed. The door of restitution is now opening before you. And you are going to walk into a greater realm of restoration compensation and vindication of God before you. You're actually going to have more restored back to you in this season than was ever stolen from you in the last. The divine alignment of God is coming upon you. Walk through this door that is opening before you. By faith, settle for nothing less than what he has given you. God is restoring back to you in more miraculous and supernatural ways than you could ever think, hope, or imagine. Come on. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that, that fires me up, but I really believe it. I mean, you have to really believe that. I believe that we're actually going to walk into a time of restoration. It's already begun. When we're going to begin to see things restored and brought back to our life. God, we just, we just thank you right now. Just pray with me. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word, Father. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are moving in the earth. Lord, that you are for us, Lord, that you, your will and your, your ways to us are yes and amen. Your promises are never void, and your word never comes back empty. And so, Lord, I just pray for the next few moments, Lord, just release your word in this house, God. Just release your word in this house. Release it in our hearts, Father. I yield to you, Jesus. 
I just surrender everything that I have to you, Lord. I yield my heart and my mind, my thoughts, anything in what I think, Lord, that's not important. You're important, God, in what you want to say and, and do today. So, Father, I thank you and I love you. And we all love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Some messages are harder than others to put together when you're, quote, a preacher. <laughs> some of them flow, and then some of them are just, man, they're a challenge. I had one of those times with this message this Sunday, today. And, I mean, I had this sense of it almost like a week ago. And then all of a sudden, sometimes God will just begin to shift, change, and just move you in another direction. That happened about midweek. Then it came this morning, and I was like so, so sure. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I got up really early this morning. I couldn't sleep. I just, God woke me up, and I just started spending time with him. And before I knew it, I was just lost in his presence. How many know that's a good thing? And then God changed it yet again. So we're going to fly at the hip here. Are you ready? But what I am encouraged about is I really feel like this is a word for us and for the house. Amen. So restoration. I mean, doesn't that sound really cool and great? So, but what I have is, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> what I have is, uh, so I'm giving her my phone. So that means this is going to be a three more hours. So you got, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay, so I was thinking about this word restoration. What the Lord started speaking to me is, um, you know, what does that look like? I mean, if, if we are really entering into the season of restoration, if this word is really true, I believe it is, then what is that going to look like tomorrow at 8.30 a.m.? I mean, what's that going to look like midweek this week when you're going through some hard times? So I, I was contemplating that, and I feel like the Lord gave me two things. I just want to share two things with you this morning of I, what I think this season of restoration is going to look like. Are you ready? This first one is very deep. Are you ready? Number one, friendship. Friendship. What is your season of restoration going to look like? It's going to look like how well you develop your friendship with God. I, I felt in our prayer time this morning the ache of God's heart. And this is what I heard him say. You know what he said? He said, I just want a friend. You know, he's got a lot of acquaintances. He's got a lot of people that even follow him. He's got a lot of people that partner with him. And I'm not saying all that's bad. But I felt the ache of God's heart in the prayer room this morning. And he says, I just want a friend. I just want to have a friend. And I just, that just rocked me this morning. And I just was like, wow, Lord, I want to be your friend. <laughs> you know? and, and he just started speaking to me about that. And something that just came to me, I believe this, this statement. I actually believe that heaven itself, right, the culture of heaven, the culture that makes heaven up, could it even be possible that it, it is friendship? What if, what if friendship with God is the culture of heaven itself? You know, I, I'm, I'm in school right now, so you're going to get a little bit of academics now. Culture is defined in three simple elements. It's based on beliefs, what you believe. It's based on what you value, your values, there's a difference. And it's based on your behaviors or how you demonstrate based on those beliefs and values. That's what makes a culture in a church or an organization or a family or a home. That's how a culture is basically established and how it sustains. 
But I feel like God was showing me today, heaven is actually sustained by the culture of friendship. Come on, there's friendship with the Father and the Son, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. But even more than that, he draws us into that level of relationship where he wants to be your friend. Come on, man. This is different than just partnering with God. There comes times and seasons in our life where we have to partner with God. I think there's times and seasons in our life where we have to co-labor with God. But being a friend of God is completely different, man. There's an element of trust and loyalty and closeness that happens when we, when we get that friendship. So I just want to share a little bit about that. 2 Samuel 5, 4 and 5 is about King David. Are you there? I need to get there. I'm not there yet. I've been studying King David's life for the last four months, and it has just been awesome, awesome. I've gotten so much uh, stuff out of it. But here, I just kind of want to start out um, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. David is now becoming king of Israel, right? The old shepherd boy. And here's verse 1. It says, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on the campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. I want you to circle the word, highlight the word, notice the word Hebron. The location of where this happened. Hebron, I think maybe even more correct. Why is that important? When David was running from Saul right before he became king, the Bible says that the Lord led him to Hebron. And he stayed at Hebron for a season, for a period of time before he actually conquered Jerusalem. And during this time at Hebron, something happens in David's life. Now, I'm interested in locations. Of course, you know me. You know that. But Hebron has a revelation for us today. Hebron in Hebrew literally means friendship. It means friendship in Hebrew. It is the place of friendship. Now, going back a little bit deeper, why? It's because in the Bible, in the beginning, in Genesis, there was a guy named Abraham. How many have heard of Abraham? Abraham did many amazing things, but the Bible says what was the most amazing thing about Abraham is that he was known as the friend of God. And as such, Hebron became his home. So the place Hebron actually was the place of friendship that Abraham pioneered in his relationship with God. It's interesting that before David can become a king, he takes him back to the place where his ancestor pioneered an intimate relationship with the father. So when he takes him back to Hebron, some things are happening. Now, check this scripture out. Go with me. It's really important. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. Hold your thumb there because we'll come back. Isaiah 40. 1, 8 through 10. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. One of my favorite passages. I even felt like this is an arrow for someone here today. It's a prophecy where the Lord himself is prophesying to Israel. And look what he says. He says, but you, O Israel, verse 8, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, your descendants of who? Abraham. Highlight this. My friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you, and I have said you are my servant, for I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Man, that's so good. Now listen to this very carefully. So do not fear, for I am with you. 
Do not be dismayed, for I am the Lord your God, and I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I want to read that verse 10 again. Listen to that. So don't fear, for I am with you. Listen to me. You're not alone in this world. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will encourage you. Do you see what's happening? This is the anthem of friendship. This is what true, biblical, foundational friendship looks like. And God is prophesying to the nation, I'm not just like hanging around here, I'm your friend. I'm not just an acquaintance, I'm your friend. I want to be connected to you. But all of that is connected, why? Because of verse 8, Abraham, look at that. Look, this, is, this is what you got to catch. This isn't like a writer writing this. This is God himself prophesying what he thinks of Abraham. He's my friend. He's my friend. He's my friend. Is he your friend this morning? I mean, really, is he your friend this morning? We've got a lot of friends on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. But how many know you can have a friends list, but they're not really, some of them ain't really your friends. Some of them you probably wonder, like, how in the world did they get up here? But you have to. To know that God is your friend. Listen to why this is important. My. What friendship implies to you and I is a sense of belonging. Think about that. A sense of belonging. My. M-Y. He said Abraham is mine. He belongs to me. Can you feel the jealous love in that? He belongs to me. He's mine. Friendship implies belonging. Belonging is important because I am learning to believe that without a sense of belonging in our life, a lot of times we'll have a struggle in believing who he is and what he says about us. Listen to that. Sometimes we have to belong before we can believe. Sometimes we have to be joined to something. We have to be joined to a community. We have to be joined to a network or a people. Or we have to be joined somewhere where we feel and know this sense of worth and belonging. That's something that's bigger than ourselves. And then finally, we can believe it. But a lot of times in the church world, come on, we get that backwards. And we want people so desperately to believe something that they don't feel they're a part of. But the kingdom works differently. You know, I thought about this personal life. Let me just share the struggle I had with you. I think I've shared this a few times, but man, it just, again, oh, it illustrates this point so well. I, I struggled with so many things, as many of you know, but one of them was sexual immorality, pornography. I mean, from the age of 10 and 11, it was an ongoing battle. And then finally, God did an amazing work in my life. I go to Bible college. I, I, I come. I get saved. But I'm still struggling with pornography as a Bible college student. Now think about that. I'm in an environment where I'm learning to be a preacher or a minister. But yet in the back, I'm still struggling with viewing pornography. And you just feel, you know how the enemy does, beats you up, feel ashamed, you're unworthy, you're not good enough. So one night in my dorm room, I just, I just messed up. And I felt completely just terrible. 
I felt just, you know, like that. That big. Enemies coming in. Oh, look at you. How are you going to tell people how good God is? And how are you going to tell them you're free? And all that kind of stuff, right? And it broke me down. And I remember feeling just the weight of, man, this is never going to work. So I remember being down and I was crying at the foot of my bed. I was crying my heart out. And all of a sudden, I, I mean, I didn't even know what visions was at the time. I didn't know what the prophetic was. I didn't know anything about that. But I had a vision. And I saw myself crying at the foot of my bed just like this. That's how I was. I was crying just like that. And in the vision, I'm looking at the, the entrance to my dorm room at the door. And all of a sudden, Jesus himself, when I mean to tell you, no exaggeration, Jesus himself walked through my door in the moment when I'm crying on my bed. Pornography tape still in the TV set. Walked right in to my environment. In the middle of my sin, mind you, walked right in, not afraid, sat right down where I was, put his arm around me, and I looked at him. I didn't even want to look at him because I felt ashamed. And I looked at him thinking, he's going to get mad. I'm here, you know. And all of a sudden, I just saw his eyes just filling with tears, crying. And I just, I had this transaction with him. I said, Jesus, how could you love me? I'm such a sinner. That's it. That's who I am. And this is what he said. It just changed me. He said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's what he said. But then he said with a big smile, but you're my sinner. And you belong to me. It's taken me 10 years to understand that. Because what he showed me is he was like, Michael, I wanted you to belong to me first before you could actually believe that I can deliver you from pornography. And so when I came and leaned in him and I felt that belonging, all of a sudden, guess what happened? I had faith that he could rip pornography out of my heart. Never looked at it again 15 years later. 15 years later, gone. I told him one time, you know, them Facebook ads coming, delete, 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 delete. You know how I can delete it? Because I remember that moment in my dorm room. And I remember how much he loves me. More than that, I know that I belong. Whoop, Jesus. I feel some of you struggle with belonging. I feel some of you here right now, you struggle with belonging with the church, maybe your job, even your family. I want to encourage us this morning. You belong here. You belong with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's always room at the table for you. No matter what you've done or what you're going through, there's room for you. Just want to encourage you with that this morning. Isn't that good news? That just rocks me right now as I'm thinking about it. I mean, think about it. The disciples. I mean, Jesus did this with the disciples. You know, the disciples, they didn't believe Jesus for a long time. But look at that. He said, what? Drop your nets. Follow me. I'll make you the fishers of life. Just follow me. He didn't try to convince them or manipulate them or push them or force them to believe in him. 
He just simply said, follow me. In other words, belong to me. Join yourself to me. Come along for the ride and let's see what happens. And then what ends up happening is they believe in him. They turn the whole world upside down because their faith goes from a superficial state into a rooted and grounded state. I think all of this is wrapped up in the process of friendship. These are the two dynamics that make a friendship work. Belonging and believing. Belonging and believing. And that's what Abraham and God tapped into. They tapped into that relationship. And I just think that's so important, so powerful for us. So connect that back to the season of restoration. So if we're going to enter into the new season where God is restoring things in our life, what is that going to look like to you? It's going to depend on how well you develop your friendship with God. He wants a friend. He wants a friend. Just give you another example. Just little stuff. You know, it's in the little things, y'all. It's not like this big, you know, this new chapter in your life. It's the little things that make a friendship Man, when I was with the Lord and I was just learning how to pray and hear the Lord, I remember I asked God one thing one time. I was at the drug rehab center, and I just remember I was under this gazebo at 6.30 in the morning. The sun was coming up. I was crying. I was praying. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I just, I've never seen this before in my life, but it was a flock, not like, not, not three or four, but a flock of male red cardinals, birds, just in a flock. And there had to be at least 10 of them. And they went, whew, almost like the doves or whatever, and they just, they just flew up and, and then went into the woods. And I was just like, wow. And ever since that day, the relationship that I've developed with God is that anytime I'm praying through something or anytime I'm, I'm contemplating something or asking God or seeking God, you know what will happen? God will always send me a red cardinal. He'll always send me a red bird, man. And it might look at me, it might be like the actual bird, or it might be like on somebody's mailbox or a flyer. You know, you just grow, right? The Lord. But every time it comes at the right time in my life, 15 years I've been seeing it. And then every time I see that red bird in that moment, I hear the whisper. I hear the whisper. So, Mike, yo, you're my friend. I'm with you. I love you. Little things. Little things. And so, oh, that's something we've cultivated. And I, I'm sure a lot of people in this room have similar stories and of your relationship with God. But that's important, y'all. That's important. Those are the things that God is really concerned about. Because that is what helps sustain. Listen, friendship sustains what God wants to do. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Be a friend. All right, let's get back to David now. Can we get back to David? A little bit more. I want to go back to David, 2 Samuel 5. So now, now David is back at Hebron. So now we understand this place, right? It's friendship with God. So before he becomes king, God sends him back to Hebron. If, if the Lord is restoring our season this year through friendship with him, what's the other thing? The second thing that I, want, I felt like the Lord gave me was is our identity. Amen. It's going to have to do with our identity in this season. And I, and I feel like the Lord wants to restore some of our identities. He wants to restore them. And one of the ways that it's like coming to me is like shifting. God wants to shift our identity. Because here's the deal. 
when we step into the new season, when you step into a new season like we're stepping into now, remember it's very important. Let me put the pause button. A few weeks back, a few months back when I shared one time last, you remember I said you were here? I said when you close this season, you have to close it well in order to transition into the new. All right? In the same way, it's just as important that when you are now in that new season that you have to walk it in the right way. And what I mean by that is you can't take the old mindset from the previous season into the new season. It's not going to work. So your mind and your thinking is going to have to shift into what God is directing and calling you to. Does that make sense? Think of this. Anybody ever drove a five-speed? Five-speed. Amber and I, Amber's first car she bought was a Volkswagen Jetta. And uh, she just loved that thing. She couldn't drive it. She had to take a little practice a little bit. Stalled out a few times. You remember that? But she caught on real good. But we had that five-speed Jetta. Now, your identity in Christ Jesus and your relationship with God is a lot like a five-speed car. It's almost identical. Because you know that in order to drive a five-speed car, you got to hit the clutch, put it from first gear, clutch it again, second gear, hit a certain speed, clutch it again to third gear, right? But you know a lot of times that you, you got to hit it just right, and then you pull that clutch. So what ends up happening is in the new season... God wants to open your life. He wants to open up blessings and the calling and the destiny. He wants to forge something great inside of you and, and, and basically take you to fifth gear. But if we're stuck in third, we can never make it to fifth. So our identity has to shift in the direction that he's calling us to walk into. Your identity has to shift. Oh, now, let me just hone that in a little bit more. Specifically, how we view ourselves. Again, this is a big one, right? A lot of people are battling and struggling with how they view themselves, how, they, how God sees them, and that's a hard thing. So this is where I want to pick up with David. i got to get back to it. I keep getting back. So now, David, 2 Samuel 5, right? So here he is. He's becoming king of all of Israel. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I went to the wrong passage. <laughs> Go to 1 Samuel. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 17. This was the first part of David I missed. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm sorry, we're going to go back to that second Samuel. I promise if you hang in there, it'll get good. <laughs> we're in third gear. I'm trying to get us into fourth right now. 1 Samuel 17, 25. Hey, I promise this is really cool. Okay, before David's king, help me. You know, I'm not, administration, organization, it's not my highest gift. It's all right. So in, ver, in chapter 17, David and Goliath. We know that story, David beats Goliath. But here's something I want to pick up on. You know, when King Saul, who was afraid to face Goliath, and the, the nation was afraid to face Goliath, only David faced him. In verse 25, listen to what it says. King Saul made a promise to the man who would actually kill Goliath. This is the promise. Now, the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Did you catch that? Number one, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Number two, he will give him his daughter in marriage. It's a big deal. 
Why? Because especially if somebody common like David, a shepherd boy, to be married into the king's family, automatically opens a door for you in a place of prominence, royalty, the bloodline, right? Number two. Number three, and whoever does this will be exempt from his father's family from taxes of Israel. How many like to be in that line, exempt from the taxes of Israel? Right here at tax season. It's a timely word, isn't it? Those three things. Now, I, I always read over that. I mean, guess what happens? David beats Goliath. And you know what? Saul, he doesn't give him any of those things. He doesn't give him anything. Bible says he's jealous, he's envious, he tries to kill him. He, he doesn't give him anything. But here, pick up in this. Now go to 1 Samuel 18, flip the page. Chapter 18, verse 17. Saul is actually going to give him his daughter. He's going he's gonna to do one of them. He's getting ready to give him his daughter. But look what happens. you got to catch this. Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merib. Highlight Merib. I will give her to you in this marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against David. Let the Philistines do that. You see what's going on, right? Saul, want, Saul wants David dead, but he wants the Philistines to do it. But David said to Saul, who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given into marriage to Adriel. Did you catch it? What happened? This is a switcheroo, wasn't it? Like, what is that? When the time came, he's like, I'm going to give you my daughter. He doesn't give him his daughter. He, he, he gives Merib to somebody else. A few more words. It says, now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, oh, he was pleased. And he said, I'll give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare. She's part of that wild teenager, <laughs> down all the way down the line. But she gave Michael as a snare to David. What a, what is, man, this is Jerry Springer shaping up. <laughs> so David is supposed to inherit Merib. Saul's like, no, I'm going to give you my youngest daughter who's wild, and she was wild, to be a snare to David. And guess what? She was. Their marriage was a disaster, basically. It was not good. But David doesn't do anything negative here. He doesn't say anything. He just takes it. So what's going on? What, what's the point, Mike? I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice the, problem, the promise and the problem. David had a promise from Saul, but he got the problem instead. Why? Why? Merib in Hebrew literally means manipulation. Or control. Manipulation or control. That's one thing to catch. Here's the second thing. How does David respond to Saul? Do you catch it? He said, who am and who is my family that we should be counted? Now, somebody can interpret that to say, oh, what a humble statement that is. But here's the truth, y'all. That is not a humble statement. That statement came from a place of unworthiness. David felt unworthy about himself. 
He couldn't see himself as being the king's son-in-law. And because he couldn't see himself, because he couldn't see his identity, because he couldn't shift in that moment to the blessing, God, or the, excuse me, the enemy rather, used manipulation and control to snatch away his promotion. It's a word for us here. Because what will happen is sometimes in your life, as you're around that kind of circumstance and situation, if you are not allowing God to tell you who you are, and not only more than that, but be established in your identity when the seasons change, then what happens is there could be a situation where manipulation and control is coming against you. And if you respond in an unworthy manner of how you view yourself, you'll actually partner with the enemy to give away what God wants to give you. I want you to catch that, man. This is David, man. This is, he just beat Goliath. He had faith to take down the giant. Nobody ripped bears and lions apart. Knew God, intimate, heard his voice, watched the sheep. He wasn't a, a weak Christian, if you will. He was strong in the faith. Up here, his faith was up here. But his confidence in himself was down here. God wants us to catch this revelation of it's so important that this unworthiness, I don't feel important, I'm not good enough, I'm a second stringer, I'm a second rate, that I, I, I don't, if we have to break that, God has to break that mentality in us. And I've seen it over and over. If we don't shift that identity, if we don't shift our identity, then we won't be able to walk in that new season and get all that God wants for us to get. So listen, faith and identity, I was just saying, faith and identity, there's a difference. I just want to make it very simple. Faith, faith puts all the focus and attention on God. With God, all things are, don't you believe that? Well, I believe that. I think we all would agree right now that we believe God can do the impossible. Identity is different. Identity says God can do the impossible through me. And that's what people have a hard time believing. That God can use me to do something extraordinary based on what I've done or my past or, or whatever. That God could actually use me to do the impossible. God in this season is saying loud and clear to the bride, you have to believe that I can do the impossible through you. Take the limits off. Take the shackles off. Break the ceiling. Allow him to do whatever he wants to do through your life. That's what I just really felt in my spirit. Mm. Here's the last part about it. Now go back to 2 Samuel 5. We're going to wrap this up. 2 Samuel 5. Verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, the friendship place. In the past, verse 2, while Saul was king over us, you were the one that led us on the military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. Skip down to verse 4. Here's what's interesting. David was 30 years old when he became king. He reigned 40 years in Hebron. And he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah 33 years. Simple. What is that saying? 
at Hebron, David was king first of Judah. Not the whole kingdom. Only a partial part of the kingdom was he king, but he was king. Crown was on his head. Seven years, that's a long time, that's a season. At Hebron, after the seven years, six months, they now make him king over all the tribes, right? What are you saying? Listen, sometimes God deals with us in increments. And there has to, he has to do it in partialities. You know, we want the full promise. We want like everything now. We want it. But the reality is we can't handle it. And he is more important with you developing your friendship with him than he is for you gracing the stage or the platform of your life. And so he'll do it in increments and little by little. Remember in Israel, the, old, the people of Israel, when they took the land, he said, I'm not going to remove all the enemy out. But I'm going to leave a little bit by little bit by little bit. That's how God deals with us in our identity in these seasons. Little by little, increments, he reveals who we are. He reveals who we are. He reveals who we are. He reveals who we are until we're ready to handle the pressure, not of failure, but of success. Success is what brings men and women down. Success is what brings men and women of God down. It's success. It's the, the fame, the, the attention, the pressure, the popularity. It's all of those things that bring down a man or a woman of God, a child of God, more than the other things. But if you hit this spot with God and you know that that's your friend and he's your friend, he will make sure you can handle all that he has for you. Mm, that's a good word. I'm not done, though. Here, you got to catch this. This last part here. David takes the city of Jerusalem. He's now king. I want to submit something to you. Even at this point, David still struggled in his identity. How do you know? Watch. Verse 11. Now, someone say now. 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 After king of Judah, seven years, after king of the whole nation, after taking Jerusalem, making it its capital, a military success victory, after all of those things, now Hiram, king, this is another king, of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar logs, carpenters, and stonemasons. And they built a palace. They built a palace for David. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king. Did you catch that? In my verse, the word knew. And David knew. King James says, and David perceived that he was king. And David knew that God had established him. How come he didn't know seven years before? He didn't know until this last part. What is the difference? What are you saying? Here's the deal. David, although he was the king, although he had positional authority, although the crown was on his head, he still struggled with seeing himself as the king. I wish I had these chairs. God wants to take you here in your life. And imagine this is a throne chair, beautiful chair. 
and we have one of the regular chairs over here. And we're sitting here. He wants to take us there, but it's hard for him to get us to move here. <laughs> over here, he has a crown that he wants to put on your head. Over here, you got an old, rusty, dirty, old ball cap. And what happens is, if we don't shift like this, then we take our old ball cap and we try to sit in the throne chair and, and, and try to use that as the crown he wants to give us. And that's why we can't take the old thinking and the old mindset from last year and the previous season into the new, it'll never work. So God took David and he said, David, I love you enough, boy. I love you. I'm going to help you settle in to who you are. I'm going to help you get comfortable in your own skin. I'm going to raise up another king, Tyree, who's going to come build you a palace Woo! and create an environment that will forge your new identity so that you can actually believe who you are. My God. Woo. What's God restoring? I'm telling you, God is going to send you a Hiram in this season. God is going to send you a king with a revelation of the calling of God on your life that they can see it better than you can. You know, God does it that way. He'll take people who can see the call of God on your life better than you can see it and bring them to you and they'll call it out of you and then you'll begin to believe what they're telling. You're like, wow, this is really who I am. In America, we have what? The President of the United States lives in the White House. Lives in the White House. That's been around for a long time, isn't it? All the presidents have to live in the White House when they become the President of the United States. For years and years and years. They have homes, but they vacate their homes, they take their families, and they move into an environment that has been established. Why? Because now they begin to be forged in them. I'm the president of the United States. Because just the day before, a few months before, they're campaigners. They're campaigners. They're campaigning. But now they shift into the White House. They automatically become president. Why? Because there's an environment that has been built to identify and help forge their new identity. What would it look like if God this year, this season, begins to build an environment, Global River, Wilmington, North Carolina? What if he begins to build an environment that's so conducive that he begins to forge us into our identity so that we actually believe who he says we are? With God, nothing is impossible. Mm. I believe that's where we're heading, y'all. That's where we're heading. So God is bringing restoration, and he's restoring this sense of self-worth, value, back to your identity. I, I feel many of you have taken a hit last year and the last season in your identity, damaging traumas, whatever it is. Man, I just hear the Spirit of the Lord saying this morning, you're worth so much in the eyes of God. And you know how I know that? It's because of his mercy and his grace. His mercy and his grace given to us is what allows us to see how much we're actually worth. Shared it before. 
but I'm going to share it again. The time in my life, I valued my life at $10. For $10, you could buy a night with me for drugs and sex, man or a woman. But when God got a hold of me, and he began to tell me how much I was worth, and when I caught that revelation of belonging, he said, you're mercy, worth, worth more than $10. You're worth more than any kind of monetary value you could ever imagine. He said, but you have to believe. That's, I feel like, a word for us. You have to believe. You have to believe how much you're worth in the eyes of God. Because he loves you that much. Stand with me. Amen. Who keys. Josh, can you hop up here? I, I just felt really to do, I'm, there's so much ministry happening this morning already. I just want to kind of, I felt the Lord here on this belonging. Mm. I just, man, isn't it good to have our Hispanic, Latino brothers and sisters in the house? You know, I've, I've shared this before in the Spanish church some years ago. I was privileged to work with 20 guys from Mexico, Honduras, all over. None of them spoke English, and I didn't speak a word of Spanish. I lived with a guy from Mexico, and we just became good friends. We split the television time. I'd watch English television in the day. He'd watch Telemundo at night. But I learned something from being with him. And we had some other white guys on the job that weren't so nice. And uh, it was always a struggle for them to fit in. I, I don't know if that's going on here, but I just want to let y'all know, we love you so much. And you belong here. Take a moment right there. Let's bow our heads. Not just our Latino brothers and sisters, but everyone in this congregation, no matter the color, the creed, the race, the background. I, I just hear the word of the Lord this morning so clearly. Michael, tell them that they belong. I want them to know that they belong. If you're here this morning and you feel like you've been struggling with a sense of belonging, you don't, know, you don't know where you fit in. You don't know where you line up. You don't know where you stand with the Lord. Or you don't know where you fit in in your job. And you're really struggling with this sense of belonging. Why don't you come up? Why don't you come up right here and just fill this altar. Just come on up right now. If there's this, just, man, I've been struggling with this. I don't feel like I fit in anywhere. I've just kind of been over and here and there. Just, just take a few moments and just come on up right here. Just come on up. I want to ask the ministry team, would you just come on and surround these guys? I heard the Lord say, just call people up that felt like they don't belong. Because it's very important 
the Lord, the Lord said this is very important for you because this is going to be a huge key in you stepping out in faith and believing in this season. So ministry team, let's just surround them right now and just begin to pray for them. Just begin to encourage them, prophesy over them, love on them. Everybody else, just hang there with me. Just lift your hands to the folks here at the altar. And let's just tarry for a moment. Jesus, right now, we thank you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we belong in your house. That some of us have been rejected. Some of us have been thrown away, thrown aside. Some of us have been put down, pushed out, thrown out. But God, you know every hair on our head. And you know every day that we live. You know every breath we take. You know every step we're going to do. You know our thoughts. And none of it is by accident. God, you intimately know us more than we know ourselves. And Jesus, I pray right now, would you just begin to fill us with that sense of belonging. Connect us to your heart, God. Connect us to the throne. Connect us to heaven. Connect us to the culture that you and the Holy Spirit pioneer. Connect us to the culture of heaven. Help us to be friends with you. Friends with one another, God. Teach us the value of friendship in this season. Teach us the value of friends. Teach us the value of friendship, God. We just pray that right now. In the name of Jesus, we release every wound of rejection. Every arrow of rejection, we just ask that you would take it away right now. Every wounded place. I hear the Lord say, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy to walk in the position I've called you to. You are worthy to walk in the new season. You are worthy. I called you. I chose you. From the foundation of the world, I chose you. I've not forgotten about you. I am with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. I will uphold you with my right hand. I will strengthen you in the day of your weakness, in the hour of your trouble. I will uphold you. I won't let you go. You belong to me. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. The devil can't have you. The world can't touch you. You are mine. You are my child. You are my heart. You're the reason I live. You're the reason I breathe. You're the reason I stand in eternity. You're the reason I came down on the cross. You're the reason. You belong to me. You belong to us. You have a name in heaven. You have a pedigree in heaven. You have a legacy in heaven. You have a mansion. You have an estate. You have it all. 